Okay, it should come back in a second. Yeah, if not, I can just fail over to using the Twitch key directly. Um, instead. Hmm. <laughs> it looks right, so good. We got, a, we got a link for the uh, the data. Yeah, I just threw it in Voices Voice. Could someone throw it in the Twitch chat? I'm trying to grab the stream key real quick, just in case we need to. Yeah, I already put it in the chat. Awesome, thank you. Um, but yeah, no, the elections integrity stuff is like really interesting because there's there's like there's obviously so much data that when like a human being looks at it in context, it it makes sense that there is a you know pattern to all of it. But it's just it's hard to see, especially because of the types of of information this is on. It you know it's very coldly calculated using you know the latest techniques of you know inciting feelings in people um and using that to plan everyone's emotions and it, it's just it's interesting from like a, a group psychology perspective to me um to see this kind of stuff so i definitely want to play around with this more didn't facebook do that as well yeah and they, well, actually i forget who else did it there was a facebook released a very small amount of screenshots mm. of ads that were purchased by russian trolls and Very, some of them were stuff no, that the, there was a thing with facebook where they um they only displayed certain emotional stuff in terms of ads on their facebook feed to see the behavioral analysis of people that were using facebook at the time to see what their uh posts were positive or negative to see if facebook actually impacted their life i'll try and yeah, find yeah. it for you no, I mean, the people who have been using these kind of platforms for this sort of research for a long time, and it's, it's only getting easier and easier because it's, you know, going on Facebook when you buy an ad. I don't know if anybody here has bought ads before, but it's really, really, really weird how granular it is. You can pick people in a specific town, in a specific race, and, you know, uh, age group and gender, whatever you, like, whatever you want, literally any sort of background. Did you actually you see... Pick- like the story where the guy got like it was a minimum of 10 people that needed to be in the sort of demographic or something and he then set the preferences so it would target exactly his yeah that's yeah. Yeah. gonna say there was is there a link to that like do you remember any of the detail of it because yeah it's a cool story it was the it was how he had uh one of his secrets was that he couldn't swallow pills and so he had yeah. ads targeting like do you have problems <laughs> swallowing pills it's fucked up. <laughs> what do you guys yeah. think of warranted response to like all of this trolling is? Think of what? Yeah, I, I MJ repeat. What do you think a warranted response to all of the trolling is? I don't know. Honestly, this is the kind of thing where it's like you when it comes to normal trolling you can fight it but then usually just the best solution is to ignore it but the fact that it's happening happening on a scale that i've never seen before like none of us have ever seen before is where it just starts bringing in so many different you know you, you basically actual- just asked like how do i prevent culture jamming from occurring and like the whole point is that they're targeting things that are very difficult for people to change like they're exploiting the fact that we have a two-party system that incentivizes hatred towards the other side because there's not a third sort of like unit to come into play. I like that yeah. culture jamming. Good. Yeah. Term. That's a good way no, to describe. I mean, 
It's absolutely yeah. it. It's, 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 but that's the kind of thing is that that stuff, culture jamming specifically, the, the kinds of things that are advocated by people, you know, all over the place for, for various political purposes or just trolling the lulls in general. Um, those things are always going to be a step ahead, the same way that hackers are always going to be a step ahead of security. I mean, uh, of blue team people, you know, or there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be somebody who thinks of some new stupid way to do something. And it might be the dumbest thing ever, but if it's effective, then it's effective. And it's a, it's a vector, an attack vector. I actually so I think would love when companies like make the claims like we stay one step ahead of the hackers. It's like, no, you definitely don't, bro. <laughs> yeah, and they get owned by some APT team with a spear phishing attack. Right, right. They get owned by some 12 year old with fucking SQL map. Like, <laughs> No, nah, not even yeah. that. SEA toolkit is the way to get into anything now. Yeah, yeah we stay one step ahead of documents with macros. <laughs> Just look at Sony. Sony's a perfect example of that. Oof. Got an idea from a some episode of Mr. Robot, and it worked against every company that's unhackable. <laughs> can you imagine like the realistic Mr. Robot episode where it's just like this boring ass, like lame fish, and it just works because people click on it. Yeah. I want to see a Mr. Robot episode. Dude, that's how it works, to... though. I know. They're I like, see... oh, this isn't exciting. I want to see Mr. <laughs> Robot try and compile an exploit and get stuck in GCC. That would be hilarious. <laughs> stuck in wires. What are these headers? Yo, I knew I shouldn't have downgraded. Yo, opens Vim by accident, reboots instead of finding the shortcut. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, the next uh, the next story is, is interesting. Um, I've the fact that a Metasploit module came out of this, uh, this uh, story, a researcher finds simple way of backdooring Windows PCs and nobody notices for 10 months. Uh, it's a, a rid hijacking technique, um, basically just a way to spoof which like identifier for what kind of account you have. Um, yeah, but I guess this person had put it out there and it's been tested from uh, XP to 10 and server 2003 until now. And yeah, so they, they wrote a Metasploit module about this as well. Wait, so what I'm looking at, it says the RID, all you have to do is change that and you can spoof somebody? Somebody's yeah, like, I guess. what the hell? Wait, so that's, that's not immutable. You can, you can change your own account like straight yeah, I, I don't. I didn't read the code for the Metasploit module yet, and I don't know if it just drops a binary or not. Actually, I'm gonna look at it right now. It looks. Um, like it, it looks like it uses like 500 though, which is the equivalent to. Oh no, no no! It edits registry keys. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. Um, that's still cool though. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to look at this code here. I should look at this earlier, but um, yeah, that's basically, if you have a low privileged account, it's. Pretty solid privilege escalation vector. Anyone come across any of the boot kits yet? Like the uh, BIOS level root kits? Uh, I've been trying to find samples and stuff. I can't find anything. Um, I've seen like not actual code, like just documentation on some and like looked at some UF UEFI dumps myself, but not, there's not a lot of like. Dumping the uh, dumping and reversing UFI stuff is like available, but then details on actually harnessing it is very like sort of scarce. Yeah. 
black magic. Um, but did you see there was uh, we talked about it, I think, two weeks ago. There was um, uh, architecture bugs that allowed like secure boot bypasses and stuff, so you could load unsigned, uh, unsigned UF UEFI uh, firmwares that then chain down to like unsigned uh, machine, uh, unsigned kernel images. That's crazy. Uh, no, I hadn't seen that. I seen um, there was this Chinese malware that um, what was it? It started a backdoored like bootloader, I think, that then booted Windows, which basically stealth backdoored it while loading the Windows image. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Because yeah, secure boots like only as good as your UFI ROM, right? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think what it was. Oh, it was to do with that uh, that chip implant, which was in. A bunch of devices that own like Amazon and shit. Oh, the uh, the Bloomberg thing that turned out that it was uh, there's no evidence to back that. That's the one you're yeah. talking about, right? The Bloomberg was saying that the Supermicro uh, BMCs. Were I think so. It was like some tiny little chip, and never really looked into it that much. I just saw that there was supposedly a Chinese dual boot with it, and the, there was also a Ethernet device that was also backdoored on it. Yeah, so the Ethernet thing was the uh, Ethernet firmware wasn't patched, but as a rule of thumb for like all the big companies that put it in, they were upgrading the firmware after they got them from the factory anyway. So uh, they all claim they weren't affected, but I highly doubt yeah, that. Yeah, I, I reckon. Yeah, some dudes it's... just like get the server out of the box and racked it up straight away. Yeah, there's just some poor dude okay. running around the DC pulling Ethernet cables. Yeah, some some guy who said he worked at a uh, major ISP said that there was some other device, I think, in the Ethernet uh, area. And everybody else was like, well, what the hell are you talking about? No. And uh, what was even funnier was that the Bloomberg article had, like, on the tip of the pencil or whatever, turns out to be some, like, uh, RF splitter used in cell phones. It's, like, a completely dumb chip. I saw the uh, the stealth printer, which was actually an MC catcher on Twitter recently. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was like people uh, supposedly you sneak into an office and you plant a printer, which uh, MC catches everyone. But the chance of you getting in with a printer is highly unlikely. I mean, <laughs> seeing your way in, yeah, but seeing with a printer. Well, dude, in two thousand and three, printer Wi-Fi names. Just like two thousand and three, dude. Um, there was a heist at the Sydney like airport data center for EDS where two guys walked in and uh, removed the mainframe and the security guys at the front desk helped them get it into the... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it was like some legit fucking lols. I always feel bad, like, you know, slightly bad for the people that get tricked, like the security guard guys. You know that's got to be embarrassing as all hell. Nah, I think the, the most embarrassing thing I've seen recently was uh, there's an ATM by my house, and basically it always gets robbed. But what they do is they charge the back of it so it blows the front off of the ATM. But whoever tried to do it this time did it wrong, blew it backwards, and set the shop on fire. Wait, what? Are using explosives? Nah, it's something... I'm, I'm not sure how they actually do it. I was reading that it's something to do with an electrical charge that gets the front off of it really easily. Oh. Interesting. But, um, it, yeah, it backfired and set the shop on fire. That's funny. Um, I'll see if I can find anything on it. I'm going to go back to the code for a little bit. Good stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, the next uh, story we have here is interesting. I, I put it in here because of the Tamper Evident Village and this exact technique that some of us learned at DEF CON. 
Um, security seals used to protect voting machines can be easily opened with a shim crafted with a, sh- a soda can. Mm. And uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's just like I mean, anything, anything with these security seals can be opened like this, uh, including um, supplies that U-Haul uh, tries to charge you $10 for. So oh, that's, that's a fun tip. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> yeah. But it's definitely something you shouldn't do and you shouldn't post it on oh, Twitter. Yeah. Somebody, might, somebody might report you to DEF CON directly for some reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> you might re- you might report yourself directly to DEFCON and like do it. Right. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but either either way though, it is an interesting uh, concept because these things, I mean, there's there's so many ways to get around tamper evidence seals. Uh, and it's kind of silly how easy it is in, in yeah. certain ones, but um, it's definitely just another another thing to throw in the pile of why uh, it's a dumpster fire <laughs> with the voting. I mean, the voting the soda can shim, though? Is so terrible. The, the soda can shim though, like, is pretty funny because, like, like soda cans, like, y- you know, you can get them anywhere. They're fucking really like you can pull them apart with your hands, and they're yeah. so malleable. Like, you can make a really thin shim into like any shape you want with like very little tools. You know, it's like oh yeah, and they're great so, for opening you... master locks too. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely interesting stuff. Uh... Tampa Evident Village is pretty awesome. So I don't know if you guys are at DEFCON next year and they're around, but check them out. Um, so yeah. Oh, the next one we have here is remote exe- code execution flaws found in free RTOS. Uh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's uh, three, four remote code execution, a bunch of information leaks, and some denial of services. I'm really uh, not up to speed. What's free RTOS? It's like an embedded operating system for like embedded controllers. It's like used all over the place. I haven't really played with much that uses it, but I have it downloaded for some reason because I think I was going to put it on something, but I forget what. <laughs> but it's uh, definitely very popular though. It's like the, just, it's a little tiny kernel. It's a real-time operating system that just you can use for specific tasks and, you know, hook it up to your microcontroller or embedded system that is connected to some spooky SCADA or ICS. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty political, I mean, uh, I mean uh, ugly packets on Twitter, Ash was talking about, you know, the differences uh, in like embedded land, you know, finding embedded Linux bugs versus like uh, RTO, RTOS bugs in general, like not specifically free RTOS, but like just like, <sighs> It, it goes from it goes back into sort of hard mode like embedded linux bugs are like a dime a dozen but then uh once you start looking at something like this like usually that you know you have custom stuff for um if you're gonna have an embedded rtos like unless it's like something specific like, i don't know unless they're using something like free rtos which is like i think less like less common but bigger for a vendor I suppose is the way to put it. Like if a singular person is unlikely to use it, but a vendor would probably use it. Um, so then that's, I guess, why the significance of having so many CVEs in one go is because people are Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely people have found some pretty basic bugs because, I mean, there's it's hard to implement certain protections that actual systems can have on them, um, especially if they're older embedded systems. And you're just supporting legacy embedded hardware, so yeah. definitely nobody updates them either. I mean, like 
trying to trying to push an OT uh like OT over the air update like out to RTOS like good luck have it's like just unless somebody physically goes up to it with a fucking programmer it's, it's never getting past. Hmm. I need did to you play. See, it. Did you see that guy that got in major shit for uh fixing everyone's uh routers or I think it was a yeah it was a business router. Did somebody so he got in trouble for patching them all? Oh, that's bullshit. I mean, it's still it's still a breach, even if you do fix what was wrong. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of going after people for stuff. Yeah, like but that. he he mass fixed a bunch of stuff and apparently released a list of supposed IPs that were fixed, and it pissed a bunch of people off. What uh did he? I'm assuming it didn't go past trial yet. Is it just starting or what? No, it's um. I think they're still trying to basically dox him. But he's on Twitter. Oh. I'll try and find the name. Oh yeah, no, there's definitely a few of them, right? But I mean, like that's the thing. Like the embedded Linux land, like routers and shit, is just a fucking joke. I don't, like when uh, tweeted, like Snail was tweeting about FPGA toolchains being fucking ridiculous, um, like last week, and it was like, yeah, but he's like, I think his comment was something like, "Is this what happens when hardware people play software engineer?" And like I, I replied and just said like look take twelve seconds to look at Arduino like it's a piece of shit and everybody thinks that's normal and then like you sort of build that up until you have to put embedded Linux on something and like there's hardware people going like oh we've put like this voice modulating FPGA into this like router now put a Linux on it and it's just like a fucking just every router is a piece of shit unless it's produced or even when it's produced i guess by like cisco and juniper or whatever they're obviously like you know much better in general you're sort of i think we're talking about dealing later let's let's save it for then oh yeah um sorry the uh the, the next story we have on here is about the vesta cp server that was compromised um this story was kind of weird i was trying to find some more information about it they have like their press release and stuff basically there had been some malware that had backdoored a bunch of people who used vesta cp like control panel for their servers and they someone had dropped a new binary called dhcp renew in user bin um and they could use it to open a shell or launch uh, ddos attacks from the server man what a wait so vesta cp is like uh pretty prolific control panel i'm assuming yeah i mean i've never i've heard of it but i've not used it before yeah i've seen um, it used a lot i haven't is it, it like plex like, or something like whm yeah that's what my question was it seems yeah, like I, right and I so to just use it for ddos or a ddos botnet that's so short-sighted like <laughs> <laughs> use your access for something more fun god Fuck. Uh, Ruby, my computer actually did the thing. Um, could you uh, <laughs> make sure the stream is alive? Streams up? Yeah. Okay. It should okay. be okay for now. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're doing it live. Yes. Um, live Fuck it. We're doing it live. <laughs> <laughs> doing it live. Fuck it. Everybody, um, wake up! Read me. Are you there? <laughs> yes, I'm here. Okay, cool. Hi. Uh, just uh, keep the keep the session alive, please. Thank you. Rock and uh, roll. 
All right. So, um, yeah, we just got taken over some DDoS malware, um, my RDP session. So, uh, yeah, this is interesting, though, that they, they compromised an entire um, platform that uses this. Um, there's a vulnerability in the actual control panel software. And I guess there was a, they patched and didn't update for it, but if anybody had an older version of Vesta CP's uh, client, then they might need to check and see if their uh, stuff has been compromised. See if you're DDoSing creds on security.com. <laughs> I find it like crazy that in like sort of this year, like I feel like 20 years ago, like buying a Deddy and putting a cPanel on it for fucking hosting or whatever, and then cramming it full of like clients. That that was like the business model like 20 years ago. And nowadays, like you just get a fucking box from Amazon or whatever. Like why? I don't know. Is, is there people just that lived 20 years ago? I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's different use cases for it, right? But the thing that really bugs me about this story is the fact that they're just wasting it on like something as stupid as packeting. So lame. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't know if you can. You've dropped something in like, like user bin, like anything other than like a fucking DDoS like payload, please. If I was uh, if I was to go to, I guess, the illegal side, that shit would all be getting rooted. Exactly. That's what I'm th yeah. saying. Like, well, there's so many got, possibilities. They've already got root, obviously, because they're dropping binaries in fucking in user bin, right? So, like, we can assume that the boxes are rooted already, and they probably you know, have uh, assistant that, access at that point. Well, but yeah, most, most people that get root just genuinely just burn it instantly. Yeah. Right, yeah. Ooh so short-sighted i mean like if you have access to something like this this is what isps use to manage their assets think a little bit forward and maybe i don't know maybe i'm giving tips for crimes i don't know maybe i should dot, dot slash xmr minor <laughs> it's all just a joke yes everybody here is a so, character sorry all, all theoretical but yeah there's Inevitably, whatever you get, like whatever assets you are able to obtain online, whatever boxes you're able to root, there is a better use for them than packeting. Real, like, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> all right. I'm back. Um, all righty. Um, but yeah, no, interesting stuff. Uh, the next one here just came out. I don't know if it was today or when this was. Hold on. I think it was today. Uh, Signal Desktop leaves uh, the decryption key in plain sight on Windows. <laughs> oh, was it just a key? Oh. I thought yeah, it was well, to unlock an SQLI like, database that has all of your messages in it. Right, right. I, I was um, looking at that. It has a legit user case, though, but it's a bad way of doing it. Yeah. yeah. It's obviously how they're going to retrieve all your messages. So when you start up, you have your previous messages. But I think, yeah. I, like, is. As shitty as it is, and hopefully Signal and Whisper fixes it, I still like Signal the best. Like, they still are doing like the good fight, right? <laughs> no, I do like Signal. I, I find that um a lot of these uh, sort of mobile-born applications like Telegram and Signal, uh, Wire, and whatever else, I feel like that the desktop apps have been an afterthought and attack on, whereas like the the mobile apps seem to be where they put a lot of their um, initial engineering. Agreed. I don't really, yeah, I just don't really like the desktop aspect of it all. And then 
because I'm an old man, using a phone is or a tablet is extremely hard for me. Um, so I don't understand the, this kid technology and you know gestures and all this shit. To be honest, I've never understood why people just go for the application and don't bother attacking the endpoints. There's something that really gets me. There's not many people like testing endpoint stuff. Like the amount of stuff that you can have just from running a proxy off your phone and having the app open. Like there's tons of different stuff, but everyone that goes for apps now just literally decompiles the app, looks at the source, finds one little thing, and they're like, ah, it's okay. Really? Uh, I mean, if you have a jailbroken, uh, like jailbroken iOS, like you want to hook like the the socket open, like so that you can, uh, uh, like, like hook um, the the crypto so that you can get it like pre TLS there, right? Yeah, you gotta try and break uh, SSL cert pinning. Yeah, well, you, if you have like if you've already rooted the device, I mean, then you can you can get hooks in there. But like, it just like takes a different like approach, a different method. Whereas most people are like grabbing the package and and unpacking it and then opening, running it through fucking a disassembler or whatever. Like it's the it's a more simplistic sort of vision of where they're like going with their their attack or what like yeah. the way they take. I feel like it's almost practical uh, versus non, right? Like it's analytical versus practical. Or tactile. I, I wanted to do it with my phone, but like for some reason, um, my Android just will not get past that thing. There's um, that early version of uh, iOS, like I think I can't remember what version it was. It was an early version where, um, yeah, like cert pinning could be like defeated, like without anything, you just man in the middle and all oh my the, God. you would get a like um a pop up that's like cert not valid and you just press OK and that's the end. Yeah, see on Android you can repackage the app and just uh oh, what is it? There's there's literally a flag you can throw in the app dot XAML which allows you to debug the app bypassing cert pinning. Hmm. Yeah, nice. That's cool. There's an entire like app framework for doing that too. Yeah that's I tried using it. I couldn't get it to work. What's it I think it's kind of old. Uh, I think they changed around a bunch of the stuff that they do in the newer Androids, which is why you can't just add a uh, CA to Android anymore and use it in the web browser. Yeah. But I mean, can't you just, uh, I mean, I don't do a lot of Android mobile mobile stuff in general, but um, if you, can't you just uh, compile like Android x86 and then just be like the Jesus of, it, of right there? Yeah, you can do all that now. Yeah, you didn't used to be able to do that, but now you can. <laughs> because if you have Android x86 in like a fucking VM and you attach a debugger to the VM, well, now you're God, everybody. <laughs> I don't know. I guess the way that I've been having to do it is um, literally running Android emulator with that package that you were talking about, the, the app framework. I forgot what it's called. Um, but yeah, that it works in a... Uh, an Android emulator, but in terms of my phone, I can't get any of it working. It just hates my SA+. Plus. It's weird. Good times. Tell us more about your phone. What, uh... No, don't. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the next um, story that we have on here came out, uh, looks like yesterday, um, but thanks to uh, ScaleSec for posting this one, because I didn't see this. Um, and UDNC as well found this as well. Um, the GCC volume uh, in GCC seven and eight. This is interesting. <laughs> There's a lot of information in here. Uh, basically, though, it's it's like. Hold on. 
it's too like, cool like the way no, it's pretty interesting like basically it's just disabling like the the, the nx bit or any other sort of stack protections on um parent function if a called function or a nested function within another function um, was able to set the uh executable bit and so it basically was like it, it poisons that that parameter throughout the rest of the the remainder of the function um and so they'd found use it to find bugs in scrolling down here it was like git uh git for windows installer sigwin min tty the git bash shell and a bunch of other tools um we're talking about yeah. the gcc thing though right the gcc yeah the gcc, yeah, this, the GCC compiled these 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 specific apps were compiled with this insecure context and now they are vulnerable mm. yes i mean technically like if you read the code if you do like static analysis on the code and for and you, you look at it you go all right no bugs in code code fine code compiles like oh bugs like so yeah well you, you basically have to like do read elf or any other sort of tool to actually look at what uh flags are set on the pages uh and as they're called so um you can definitely do that with a community or you, can, you know uh gdb um read elf if you're on linux um and yeah i mean they don't only really describe it for windows or they describe it for windows hmm. but they have they are talking about it also in context of gdb and like read elf and stuff so i'm not sure it's definitely a cross-platform bug. Um, yeah. But I just think yeah. it's like, I don't know, I, I, I like it because it's subtle, I guess. Mm -hmm. is like It's introducing bugs that just are very unexpected, you know, from that static analysis point of view, mm -hmm. I guess. I, I'm really a big fan of those, the really weird, obscure bugs that compilers introduce because you, you can feasibly have like a completely secure code base that looks fine on paper uh, for lack of a better term and then it's the compiler that actually ends up introducing whatever vulnerability you end up finding those those little fun things are always awesome yeah, yeah. i'm definitely you, more interested sorry go on you well, I was going to say, what do you do for, for something like this then? You have to either compile with another version of GCC, but what if you built, you know, <laughs> a really crazy tool chain that you need to compile with whatever version of GCC this is? Same as we were talking about before, you can't get your exploits to compile. Oh, uh, I mean, what if you can't get your Git desktop or your, you know, Sigwin? <laughs> I don't know how that's compiled, but I don't want to ever look at that make file. You've got to remember as well that, like, all the all those um packages you're talking about like the sigwin git bash all that shit that's they're, they're distributed binaries so like the tool chain is way back at um you know whoever like so there's an unlimited amount so like you know and, and a very large amount that, that's hard to fathom like binaries yeah. being distributed now that are likely to never get patched. like again something that might never get patched because it's like obscure it's out there like you could have this exact same version. Say you've got like, I don't know, git bash one seven or something. And then like you go, I don't know, um, you can you, you have it built with a different compiler from the same source code and like 
md5 the two files they're obviously different but the end user has absolutely no idea because the version number is the same it just came from a different compiler yeah that's why i say wipe wipe the tears and and stop crying because in reality there's it there is no easy way right like there's no easy fix for it and that's the scary thing yeah, you just have yeah. to say if you're a, a vendor and you've you've used this compiler to do, you know, your entire fucking source tree, you have to go, right, we now have to bump every single version number or something in order to confirm that we've recompiled everything with the new tool chain. Like because there's just no way to go like, you know, it's it's a whole lot of analysis and a whole lot of management to actually yeah. The interesting thing is, how do you ask your uh, contractors that no longer work for you that compiled this, however many months or years ago, you know, stuff like that gets really nasty. Like, oh, I built um, it on my laptop like one fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sec Princess, do you have any um, thoughts on this bug? If you are here, <laughs> I, I am here, but I wasn't listening really well. I was over doing something else while you guys were all talking. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm talking about, we're talking about the GCC bug with the, uh, the nested um, functions that make it so that it marks the rest of the function as executable when it's called. Yeah, we, we started kind of going down the path of, well, what happens when your your contractors or people that are in line of creation of the software accidentally used it and you don't realize it things and like that. that and that's something i can't talk about <laughs> my my position where i'm at doesn't allow me to talk about that okay <laughs> um, does does that kind of tell you what i think about it yes um <laughs> Yes. I think it's, 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 it's not a it's true. not a good thing. Let's tell you. Let's say that. <laughs> Very true. Absolutely. Um, no, but yeah, it's definitely something to to look out for. Um, see how this develops over time. Um, I have to read more of this. I only saw it this morning. Yeah, honestly, it seems like really just very very detailed documentation is the only. It is one of the biggest layers that you could do to sort of kind of have visibility into it. But yeah, there's, oh, it's such a nasty one. It really yeah. is. I think as well, like, if you were to create a, a scanner of some kind, so sort of like, a, all right, look for nested functions that could possibly have this operation. Like you, you did some sort of uh, mass analysis like that. You still don't know if any of those binaries that are affected are vulnerable or not. You know, like it doesn't actually give you that insight because it, you still need the specific. You, you, all right, so the NX bit isn't set. Um, what does that really mean in the context of that application? That's a whole different story, right? I think layered layers, layers, layers of security, right? You got to just keep it going. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I thought it was interesting in anything that would potentially call something that would start a process that would be the basis of your process that you would make or from whatever you're using this for. <laughs> so if you were to compile something and then for some reason, or not even compile something, just run something and it used this, then it would make everything in your context unsecure. If you were called to something else, because all the nested functions and, and called functions throughout it are poisoned. And uh, so 
everybody who tells me that uh statically linking everything on every go binary is a good idea like fuck you <laughs> right <laughs> fuck you all right, all right. <laughs> uh so the next things we have we have some good reads here uh definitely look at this uh article by somebody who is an Amazon employee who says that Amazon should not sell facial recognition tech to police. We have talked about this quite a bit. Yes. Um, and just the fact that it's getting more and more powerful. Uh, the I'm glad it is then. Like it, the it's really important. Ability to happen. Um, so yeah, I would definitely take a look at that. I wanted to talk though about this um, D-Link routers thing. There's somebody on Twitter, uh, Dominic, who had been trying to get D-Link to do something about these bugs and they have seemed to be not doing it that well so he put out a blog post about it um basically he found uh like directory traversal uh passwords that are stored in plain text and then just straight up command injection on d-link routers on a bunch of them um and he had a nice little proof of concept video as well um of showing exactly how he chained them all together to get these bugs around some of these radical it's pretty fun. Great. <laughs> I mean, to, to be honest, like, you got to look at it from a vendor perspective again. Like, okay, so you got all these routers. Say you take, so uh, I won't give this person any airtime, but they bought a whole bunch of routers, old D-Link routers for like, you know, less than $10 recently. Um, and I was like, so the fuck what? Like, basically, from, from a vendor perspective is they've sold these routers. These routers are old tech. Like, say you've got a DSL router or a Doxis, like, one or two router right like mm -hmm. uh, sorry like cable modem like nobody cares anymore because it's already sold and the reality is the customer should upgrade now the customer doesn't give a shit because they're like my internet works why do i need a new modem like i don't want to yeah. spend like three, like 200 bucks or like however much so but the vendors like when i we're not even selling these anymore they've been on the market for like five years we're just like never going to patch and then like i'm like most of the router sort of firmware to me like when i look at um like you know netgear or tp link or something they often like seem to use like similar models are using like same the same build ems and like you know the same configuration um which is why you see like families get affected by the same bugs because it's just the same fucking code recompiled for the new target uh -huh. so like, i don't see like i see the point where d-link are like who gives a shit go buy new routers but then I also see the thing how like the people who are the most vulnerable are the people who have no idea about security, how this works, why they should even have a good router or whatever, you know. Wait, exactly. People links as routers <laughs> from yeah. forever ago. Was that and that's exactly advice, what I was saying. Sorry, say what? I was just gonna say, is that D Link's official advice? Just upgrade, they're not gonna patch it. Uh no, well I I've definitely seen uh, D-Link, Neki, or whatever say that there's like no patch coming for stuff. Like, wow. this, you know, this is end of it's an end of life piece of hardware. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, um, and the same thing from companies like Ericsson and Kawaii and even like Jun like Juniper and Cisco do the same thing. The end of life a piece of hardware. That's it. There's no patch. You don't like it? We'll buy. It's so interesting because like. It it makes sense to 99% of the world, right? Or 95% of the world. But there's a section of, of industries, specifically infrastructure, that use old hardware because it works. And, like, if it works, it works. You don't... No, not even that. 
sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but people sell like support packages after EOL dates. They'll still support the product and do what it needs to do, but it necessarily isn't exploitable because of the fact. Well, and that's yeah. good when they when they offer the extended support, but when companies are just like, well, you should you should have already had new hardware by now. That's crazy. That's insane. Yeah, yeah that's gotta be what is it like? Uh, is it? April 2038 or May 2038 when we run out of 32-bit time, the actual Y2K. <laughs> uh, yep. Awesome. Well, like, like the amount of seconds stored in a 32-bit int is going to run out at some point. Can I buy more? Uh, yeah, it's called 64-bit. Welcome to the future. <laughs> it's called Why Do You Have 4 Gs of RAM? <laughs> yeah. Download more RAM.com. <laughs> So like yeah, whenever whenever it's like the actual like time runs out in like uh you know thirty two bit ints, it's gonna be funny because there'll just be crap that people have lying around. Well, I mean, I assume that there will be crap that people have lying around that just nobody even knows what it is. It just runs out. Memory the the ints wrap and time wraps and time goes back to you know nineteen seventy and everybody. It's like Y two K all over again. Now the kids get to enjoy those hundred hour weeks. <laughs> oh yeah. I I just think um like the whole the whole router like the whole like Soho router scene at least, um, from every vendor. Like I put faith in none of them. Um and they're all built like there's so many of them of the devices are built on embedded Linux. Like I can't think of a vendor who doesn't use it. Um and I feel like have if they were to uh, like, look at a project like OpenWRT or something, right? It still has its flaws, but it has, you know, it's open source. It has people looking at it. If vendors were to collaborate a little bit more with um, something, you know, uh, across their devices to, to build, like, more robust platforms for their operating system, um, then maybe we wouldn't have such shitty routers getting, like, mirrored and whatever. And then, you know, slices getting owned because they buy D-Link. <laughs> There's some extent to what that does happen. Like I noticed that a lot of uh, telecom providers they reuse the same cable boxes for like actual cable television. Uh, I remember when I was at a working at an ISP, I was talking to some of the devs on uh, one of the TV projects, and he was telling me how they're basically just using an open source operating system. Yeah, there's. Uh, I mean, I um I rooted a IoT thing. Um, it's like an air conditioner thing. Uh, I don't know, a few months ago. And it was using like, like it still has the, uh, in the MOTDs, like the name of the distro that they're using. What was it uh, though? Can you say the brand or no? Uh, no, I haven't disclosed it yet. But like, right. um, but like, I was just surprised that like the name of the distro was still there. And that sort of, in a way, made me feel like a little bit happy. They pick something that is like not like they didn't try and roll their own fucking Linux on it, or... but uh, it also made me sad because I rooted it with like their shitty bash shell. Like they had a bash group in like CJ running his root. So. <laughs> awesome. Um, but hey, uh, it seems to be it for the new section here. Um, yeah, just uh, another reminder we still have five slots open for the 24-hour CTF Charity Marathon on November 3rd from 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Eastern Time, America slash New York. Um, so for a good if anybody is interested here uh, and wants to help us raise money, 
go for it. If you also want to be here to help support the in-between times uh, Twitch plays rooting a box, um, also let me know as well, because we need some people to help out with that. I don't think I get that the entire time. <laughs> um, but yeah, also, uh, another quick announcement too, our next episode is about aesthetics, and so I wanted to give everybody a chance to uh, know about that uh, way ahead of time, because we want everybody to share all of their, uh, I guess, anything that you do to, to make your terminal and your desktop environment and your workspace and whatever uh, awesome looking. So we want to see everybody's cool uh, raced out terminals and desktops and lights all over their uh, battle stations and everything. So we're really, I'm really excited about that. We have some cool people that are going to be sharing some cool. tips about that uh, and a lot of resources. So if you have anything like that to share, please uh, send it to the at the crowd on Twitter and we can put some of that stuff up on the screen when we are talking about it. Awesome. Um, if if you'd like to uh, dump it into Discord directly, uh, take the photo with your uh, mobile device with GPS um, and <laughs> post it into Discord. Discord does not strip exit, so we will know where you live, and we would very much like to uh, to build a database of uh, battle stations. Very quick way to strip exit is to upload it to Twitter or Facebook and then download it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Did you see the guy that's trying to? Uh, send people the FUD crowd APK. That should probably be a thing that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I guess we should probably... Yeah, yeah now that you're saying it. It has android.permission.write external storage permissions. <laughs> yeah. so, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm really glad that you actually looked at that. Um, <laughs> shout out to the guy who wrote it. Yeah. FUDcrowd.com.svc yeah, so we we will not have a Android app. That's way too much infrastructure to have to deal with. I can barely write the show notes features. Yeah, <laughs> but so we don't have a podcast app. But if you do see one, uh, feel free to decompile it. And if you see any domains in there, um, feel free to register them. Yeah, so, own the crap out of it. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah. Put it on yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I was told that if you register a domain to stop some threat, that you will get charged by the F FBI. True. It's a very fun travel America, <laughs> so you should be fine. Rest in peace, my. I mean, you will if you have a history of like making malware with snitches. Oh no. Yeah. So before we do any of this aesthetics, everybody here. <laughs> Send it to desktop environment. Uh, make sure oh, yeah. that you have your terminal open with your passwords. Up you have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you really good artists. It's going to be like furry awesomeness when it actually boots up. You have no idea. I cannot wait to see what your desktop looks like. Actually, I know what it looks like and it looks awesome. So Yeah, I showed it to you, man. Oh, yeah. I even made um, it so my freaking little stuff. It's pretty fun. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to clean my desk. Like I'm gonna have to, it's gonna have to I got so much shit that needs to be taken off it for folks. Quote unquote shit, whatever that means, right? I mean you can just make a new VM of it and then just say it's yours or just Yeah, I don't know. No, no, no. Um, no. I mean like I wanna take a photo of my desk, but I need to actually clean it. Oh, so oh yeah, yeah, really, absolutely. I, have, I, I I look like a slob. <laughs> look like I'm not, <laughs> real I just work I just work really looks hard, like a bro. slob. I'm just kidding. Yeah, a napkin just here. I don't know why it's been here for once. Um, anyway, that's just in a video. Um, let's get into our uh guest now. I'm actually very excited about this. Um, Sec Princess, hi, are you here? 
Yes, I'm here. Awesome. <laughs> you guys, uh, this, this has really been chill to just sit back and listen to for a while. <laughs> yeah, we kind of just banter, and we can banter way too long, so we got to kind of wrap it up a little bit and get into the actual meat of, this, the meat of our episode. Um, but we'll more than happy to chill and talk more later, too. Um, so, yeah, um, I want to get right into it. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> do we have that much time? Sure. <laughs> anyway, I'm, uh, I've been a software developer since around 1990s. I w originally started as a hardware geek, and I built uh, cables and connectors for Precision Interconnect, which was a division of AMP Incorporated. I have a few patents for cable and connector designs for ultrasound stuff. I got really tired of drawing circles and squares all the time because that's all you do when you're a hardware person. And <laughs> so <laughs> I decided I wanted to go try software. I went to work for a couple of companies like Kentrox, which then became ADC Kentrox. And we, I did Telecom Big Iron. And I have done stuff for, I've done 56 port T1 cards, uh, DS3 cards, uh, Stratum 3 clock drivers, all for big iron stuff that requires nine, you know, seven nines of uh, operation, which, wow. you know, uh, yeah, 99.99999%. Basically, <laughs> basically what... Well, it was abs actually really bad because what it was is that if anything happened to the card, you just wanted to let the data go through untouched. Mm -hmm. So if so, if you think about it, that's a hacker's paradox. Because if you could kill if you could kill the card, you could get whatever data you wanted through it. It was open. <laughs> yes, and that that's they've started changing that. And then after I got through with that stint, I ended up working. I, I stayed out for many, many, many years, but I ended up going to work for Intel about a little over a decade ago. And I've done uh, Wi-Fi, WiMAX, Bluetooth, GPS, SDIO driver on a chip. Um, got tired of doing embedded and moved over to the Open Source Technology Center inside Intel where I was, worked on every single failed operating system that they ever did. So Mobile and Migo, Tizen, uh, and Android One, <laughs> and, and I was their first kernel maintainer for one of the first tablets that Intel did. It's impressive. And I got tired of that, and finally found me a mentor and got into security and started working in security for OTC. Was their security champion and had no power, so I left there and went to the corporate level where I now work for Intel's Product Assurance and Security Group which I have a Thor's hammer now when it comes to open source. Very cool. That's awesome. amazing. <laughs> so, what yes, I've been... I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> That's a much shorter way of saying it, but yeah. <laughs> it's like the graybeard's graybeard. Yeah. I know. This is insane. I, I, I When we were talking last night, I was just like, everything that you told me, even in like a couple minutes, I was just like, damn <laughs> it's like longer than i've been alive i'm just and but so much badass knowledge though like so you did you did telecom stuff though back in the 90s yeah saying and, and you know um i wanted to ask you a little bit about that so when when 
things started going from you know analog to, to digital to VOIP. Like, what is that kind of like? Because <laughs> I've, well, I've never really talked to anybody from that era again. <laughs> thank you for making me feel really not. Really no, it's, it's out of respect, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, so anyway, when we first started, that is actually what I did for a living. Was we were in the process of doing uh, packet switch networks to digital networks, and so we would take. Uh, like the 56-port T1 card that I worked on brought in whatever, right? I have frame relay. Uh, uh, we also did E1 at the same time, which is the European specification, just like T1. Only no, more. Yeah. E1. yeah, yeah, more channels, right? Just, you know, same stuff. But we actually took that in. We took anything in and put it out as ATM, which could be used as digital. And it was interesting in the very beginning I'm, I'm sorry i'm reading too at the same time that i'm talking and listening to people <laughs> so uh but it was it was a strange thing because many of the companies didn't want to go to digital and especially telephone companies right they thought they were going to be losing out and mm -hmm. so we really had a hard push do you have to so, tell the stockers uh, and punch down tools uh, well, well, you would you would be surprised at some of the things I saw at some of the uh, the telecom knocks that you go to and I'm and sure. go go to their side rooms where they have their uh, their you know uh, where they tap their T ones. Yes, this closet's covered in unicorn puke. Yes. <laughs> so did you uh, like? Did you actually have to measure stuff in Erlang's? <laughs> Well, we actually, uh, there were many things that I felt were unethical that we were doing when we were building some of this digital stuff because they actually wanted, they actually wanted, you know, taps on their T1 and stuff like that when we would build them. I remember. That's. Well, they wanted it so they could be undetected. Yep. And, and so, uh, Obviously, we know the end of the story is they they eventually won, right? Oh, oh, of course they always do. You know, the... but it's <laughs> good that you put up a fight. It, so when you encountered that, was it was it something easy that you could even bring up and say, "Hey, this is kind of shady, guys. What are we doing?" Or did you just kind of have to be quiet? Oh, about it? oh no, you have. I I mean, I'm I'm <laughs> people who know me know that I'm not very quiet. <laughs> I I have never been one who was afraid to yell at their boss and tell them they sucked. Right? <laughs> and I was probably a lot more impulsive in my younger years when I was doing stuff like that and I'm telling them, you know, this shouldn't you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> now this is kind of not nice. And I said, well, we don't really have much of a choice. And like anybody who doesn't make very much money and is doing a job at the, you know, at the pleasure of whoever your employer is at that time, you tend to just go ahead and go along with it because you really don't have a choice. Yeah. That's cool though. That's good to speak up. I mean, if you, uh, not, not to keep on this tangent for too long, but if you had advice for new up and comers that are kind of in the same position, would you have done anything differently? Would you have spoken up more? Yes. Now, nowadays, yes. 
And, and I mean, it's a lot better nowadays because people, people actually think about ethics now. They didn't then. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, eth- ethics wasn't a big thing. It was, you know, it wasn't whether we should be doing it or should not be doing it. It was, what are they paying us to do it? Where today, people will actually stop for, you know, 10 seconds and think, should we really be doing it? Yeah. I think it's no, man. I, I saw a keyboard that was a cloud keyboard. Like it connects to your machine over the cloud. Like I felt like that should never have been. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, I don't know. How does that work? It was posted by Internet of Shit a while ago. So I mean, yeah. Let's, oh let's, let's continue with what we're talking about. That's like a Nodes, so, like when they still use mainframes. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. I'm glad you're here to uh, ask questions too, Pike. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, what were you going to say? Sorry. No, go ahead. You. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to start going into some more of the stuff that um, that she does here. Um, so I wanted to know more. We, we talk about this a lot. This is like one of our, our I feel like our our, our sleeper hits for topics is, is open source stuff and, and supply chain stuff. And so I kind of wanted to get your, your take on the state of, of that right now, because this has like been, I don't know. I don't know if this is probably the best tangent to go into. I don't know if anybody has any other suggestions, but this is what I was interested in, in hearing about the most. Um, she did answer quite eloquently by going, oh. you have to understand that it's my day job oh okay yes let's see (laughs) i i literally get paid to argue with product teams about the open source that they're trying to use (laughs) what do you find some of the best fails of all time that are just not even <laughs> like we laugh oh. at them and it's just something you have to actually like like uh follow up on yes as a matter of fact if you go to my github and my it's my github and it's sec princess you can go find it very easily and look at look at my choosing better open source uh i have all of the information that i use there as a matter of fact i'm giving a talk up in seattle next uh november 9th i think for uh, choosing better open source packages. So you can go look and see what my presentation actually is. And these are all real things that people tried to put into projects at Intel. Wow, no, that's <laughs> awesome. That's something that, that's the kind of resource that I feel like we, we need. We always say like, oh, well, don't use that library if it, if it keeps getting owned or don't use those you know plugins. But we don't really give alternatives it's, all the time. <laughs> it's not even it's not even that bad. A lot of people don't even read the readme of the GitHub that they go try to pull in. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you when you open up a git a, a git repository and you want to pull down the source code and you look at it and it says this is a fork of a fork of a fork. I mean, doesn't that kind of throw up some red flags for you? <laughs> You're doing yeah. awesome. Well, I mean, we cost effective implement. (laughs) Well, no, what it was is it was it was literally a fork of somebody else's, and it said right at the top, "I forked this from." I mean, in the guy's reading, the developer was being honest, and I can't hold him at fault. I hold the person who tried to pull it into their product at fault because it said, "This is a fork," and you go look at the fork that he pulled it from, and that one said, "This is a fork." from 
source code that I pulled from a book. Yeah. It's... And you don't even know what the copyright of the book was. So what's the provenance of the source code? Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting. <laughs> when at a certain point there is like this need for accountability and people need to be accountable for the things that they do. If it's reckless, it's reckless, right? And so finding that balance is kind of interesting. You have any insight on that? Uh, I can I kind of talk a little bit. I was, I'm part of a small team that implemented in OTC what we called our whitelisting strategy, which is basically anybody who uses open source in a project has to submit their open source whitelisting process. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was, it's actually when we first started pretty manual, not so much anymore, but we actually go through, we'll vet the open source for them. And I cannot believe the number of people go out and just say, Google, I need to know how to do this. And they pull that first hit off of Google right in. <laughs> wow. For any function. Huh? Uh, well, yeah, for whatever they want to do. And so we either whitelisted or blacklisted. Have you, and, have you actually ahead. seen it? Um, have you actually seen it introduce security issues uh, directly just because well, of that kind of behavior? I, well, I was telling you the other day, <laughs> yesterday when I was talking to him that one of the best ones that we ever saw, and it's, it's in, we have what we call a derp doc. And if you make it into our derp doc, you have you have done you have done an excellent job because it is a running running uh document of the the most unbelievable things that we have seen it's a great name <laughs> well one, one of them was somebody wanted to put in an sql accelerator well when somebody says sql accelerator to a security person the the red flags just go off big time <laughs> Because you know that when you have an accelerator, what did they get rid of out of their, you know, SQL parsing that might have been good? Or like, uh, are they caching it somewhere that's, you know, insecure and all those kind of good shit? Like, oh, I just cache it. Just cache it somewhere. Like, don't worry if it's readable. Get rid of all the security functions. Those slow things down. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They slow things down. And, and don't worry about parsing too much either. Because <laughs> when we actually look at the source code, and we went, you know, followed a couple of the functions all the way down. One of the best functions that I saw in there was uh, if Postgres uh, single quotes, if not Postgres double quotes. So basically SQL injection in a can. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, I dropped the microphone. I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but we, it's like if equals tab go. It's yes. like why wow. it's like drop table <laughs> quotes. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, how uh, since you've been in, in in software um for a while, what are some of the, the things like that that you've seen change over time as far as I guess, best practices developing? And what are some of the most important things, I guess? And what are some of the things that people still screw up really bad on? Well, and, and I, I really wish you'd quit saying you've been doing this for so long. Sorry. Yeah. I'm saying, <laughs> I, I'm You're so fucking old. What, what oh, kind of wise advice could you give us? <laughs> 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 
it's just, you, for me, you, I, I've been, I've not been professional in this field for very long, right? You, so when I see somebody who has a lot of experience to be able to pass on that wisdom to me so I don't screw up. Never make a woman, never make a woman feel old. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I mean, next you're going to make jokes about how she was there when Jesus meant to see what the fuck. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, what's funny is, and we were talking about this earlier, is that everything old becomes new again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like if that you, the R, keyboard. Yeah, the R, the, the Artos one for the, for IOTS that that has been around forever. I mean, these are these are you know things that we saw twenty years ago, and now they're back again. It's. So I mean, yes, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. We think so, we think will eventually help us fix it. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I you're did laughing, I say that? You're laughing did, because it's actually funny, though. Like be honest, did, it's fucking did, funny. I, I'm laughing because I'm wondering if I said that with my outside voice. <laughs> the one of the things that people have to start doing is really vetting the source software, the open source that they're putting into their projects. Because, I mean, people go out and, and it's always the same things that we see that cause the problems. Parsers, right? So any kind of parser, right? And, and people go out and say, well, I need a fast parser. And they go out and just pull one, right? They don't even bother to think about it. There are people who've been parser, doing parsers for 20 years. And let's just say that, you know, Apache and places like that, and they still can't get it right. So what makes you think that somebody who did one last week is going to get it right? That's a good, uh, good way of looking at it. I like that. Right? So I try to get people to go pick parsers that have been used for a long time. Right? And, and ones that are, you know, well looked at. People are using them on a regular basis. You know, Jackson Brown. Uh, some of the other ones. I mean, XML is one of the things that keeps migrating and keeps moving forward in time and every single parser that i know always ends up with a cve at some point in time mm -hmm. so if you're going out and trying to find a new one that is faster and and more portable and <laughs> yeah hook you're right parsers without unit tests and any one of them that says that they are that they are that they meet the standards uh, you better take a really good look at it because very few of them that i've seen ever meet the standards Nice. For uh, XML, you're supposed to just leave it at eTree and go. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get that joke. I'm okay, so, so the joke there is that it, it, <laughs> so it, you can use eTree to, to parse, uh, and as long as you are very careful about using the parser, you'll be okay. But it's like encryption. You've got a thousand ways to shoot yourself in the foot. It's The key word there was being careful, which nobody ever does. Yeah, <laughs> being careful is a suggestion that always gets overlooked. Yeah, but I, I mean, I mean, there's there's tons of them that say like, oh, we're standards compliant. Oh, we're tested. Oh, like we have all this fuzzing that is applied, and everything is going to be great when you use it, and then you actually go to use it, and you didn't read the manual. Right. <laughs> Show me a developer two days before delivery at three o'clock in the morning. It's being careful. <laughs>
Yeah, right. Deadlines, even. <laughs> so it sounds like you know you've been through it for so long. You uh, you are a fan, I would guess, of layered security. Approach. Oh, abs- absolutely! Security everywhere you can put it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I think one of the more interesting things that we've seen uh, evolution-wise has been two-factor. Um, and adoption rates of two factor going up. I think that's kind of helping. Well, well it depends on it depends on if you're using that as a text message or not. Um, yeah, I would even argue. Guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by a ten year old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can hijack it, but um, even even just in bulk, the uh, the idea of it being a second factor over SMS still. You or go home. <laughs> Yeah, you, <laughs> yes, UBK or go home. Exactly. They got the USB C uh, UBKs too now. They're really yes, tiny. they're really tiny. Yeah, very. I, tiny. I I lose mine in my pocket all the time. <laughs> I really want one of the uh, NFC ones, so I can use it for my phone. That sounds dangerous, but fun. Well, they I, mean, I think it's. You could Sorry, have it I'll... embedded. You could have it embedded between your thumb and your first finger. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I've actually, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw the jewelry that was like RFID jewelry and shit that people are using for tap pay. That shit's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing about like that stuff, uh, the YubiKeys and that is though that um, the, the protocols like HTTP and TOTP or whatever um, in a lot of places, but I've seen that companies uh, like Authy, for example, have their own way of implementing stuff as well. So they'll happily play with TOTPs and stuff like that. But then you'll have a, a developer who'll be like, oh, Authy have this library and they have this callback and you need to open this port and like whatever. It's like, uh, you definitely don't. It's like a time-shared secret. Like this is how the protocol works. So I think uh, like, you know, just developers skipping out on... Uh, but developers have been doing that forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Every every single time that you develop something is supposedly a, a nice and proof security technique. It's always your developers on the back end that figure out how to game the system and ruin it for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I mean like you know, you want you you want your YubiKey to work. Like you can just use TOTP. It's okay. Like securely store your secrets yourself, not in the third party, and everything you'll still be fine. You don't need to transmit stuff shit, you know. I agree. It's just, yeah, it's rare to see it done right in the real world. Yeah. It's always the place where it gets messed up is in the implementation. <laughs> what do you, uh, where do you get your motivation to, to keep doing this every day? <laughs> because it's hilarious. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's so much fun sometimes, you know, when these when I get brought some of this this stuff and I just I start researching and looking through what they're asking me to do and I'm just going, oh my god, <laughs> really? There's no, there's no better satisfaction than owning somebody that claims they do security. You also just well, literally said you wake up uh, in the morning for the lulls. <laughs> I do. I mean, this is what I've been doing for living now for the last seven years, I think, is nothing but security stuff. 
and I've been dealing mostly with open source security and most of it with software supply chain. And like I said, some of the things I've seen are just astounding. <laughs> you know, uh, people want to bring in code that they just directly copied right out of Stack Overflow. Oh, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I always like to point out that like Stack Overflow is how you like actually introduce the actual Stack Overflow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always tell them Stack Overflow fine. They do answer questions most of the time pretty good. Don't ever copy anything from there. Use it as a learning experience and go write your own code. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've mentioned um I got banned from like the Node.js free node channel because people like I was helping people uh by introducing like minor bugs into the like exploitable bugs into their code. And after a yeah. while the admins like picked up. But you're starting to you're starting to see more and more of uh, of our software development model move towards where we won't let you uh, do anything with even uh, uh, low level or mid level vulnerabilities in your code. It used to be that you only had to fix high and uh, severe. Uh, yeah. But we we have found you know past that people are starting to do things like they do with iOS, which is chain a whole bunch of low level, you know, vulnerabilities together to create one that gives you a ex you know a root exploit of some sort. Hmm. Well that was similar to uh what what uh, my little pony up there was saying earlier uh, with uh getting XSS that would be known executed by an, an administrator like I've used a similar thing like on pen tests and whatever where that XSS becomes a CSRF and it's actually now dangerous. Like previously, it's an unauthenticated X blind XSS. No one gives a shit. And uh, it's scored like the lowest of lows. And it's actually dangerous, you know? And yeah. I don't, I think so a lot the, of people have just. The guy I was doing it with, uh, um, he turned around and said that the, uh, there's a payload that you can use for WordPress with XSS to basically. Uh, get them to insta shell their own wordpress install yeah well and I, I mean that's just the case where like you know the low of lows would be generally ignored in in a report and um you know people don't really care but you're right yeah. like you know that that was the first time i ever looked at wordpress 10 minutes into graph it was like admin xss easy well, uh, about three weeks ago for i was my presentation for choosing source for the uh, women who code Portland for their open source study night. And as I went through the bit about you know, how NPM with all of its you know, ungodly dependencies and the way that NPM works. And if you don't, you, know, you really need to be really careful. And if you're not using NPM audit, you had better start using NPM audit. Well, somebody who was there ran NPM audit on their company's uh, web whatever it was, and found out they had nine vulnerabilities, six of which were critical, and had them fixed and pushed back in uh, before I was finished with my presentation. <laughs> they came and thanked me for it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I really like that uh, GitHub does that now. If you're using a dependency that's potentially vulnerable, they um, alert you now that you're using a vulnerable thing. Mm. Yes. So NPN audits like pretty interesting. Um, I don't want to divulge too much about this scenario, but uh, there was 
let's just say more than 100 vulnerabilities listed through npm audit in a pretty um non-important uh repository um but the code base was uh, written like it was the code base is written by this a same group of people and there was a time frame on the, on the project and so i was like okay i understand you guys you know don't want to go ahead and fix the 100 uh plus vulnerabilities in this in this irrelevant repository but let's just use it as a way to gauge that with npm audit it's telling you you have all this like you know nest like terrible nested dependencies imagine what's in there if you actually look like you know you have to not just like not just fix those 100 because it's you know you don't want to spend time fixing 100 in something that doesn't matter but you've got the the same developers writing code elsewhere that you now think well maybe those developers um introduced other bugs that we don't we haven't been able to measure in this way you know well just i was when i was talking to you yesterday i was telling that you know when they broke the internet when you know leftpad was removed by the developer who was having an argument and took everybody down on the east coast the one thing that uh Lori voss said is that basically this can still happen right but i think that the way that this is going to go, and I'm sure somebody's working on it very well, is they're just going to start installing malware into very low level, very low dependency little pieces of, of code down there in NPM where it, nobody's really watching or paying much attention to it. And then you're going to end up having all of these places pull it into their code. Yeah, that's one of the other interesting things about that vector is that NPM um, being based on like GitHub stars, like this is something I've brought up before, like, you know, why not just get a whole bunch of bots to star the shit out of your shitty library? <laughs> exactly. Sudden, yeah, now now you're in you're, the NPM ecosystem is skewed in your favor for your known backdoor code. Like, Excuse me, sir, did you just introduce GitHub click farming? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I I talked about it, this on as a YouTube video. I talked about it on stage from fucking I don't know some security event. But yeah, that's yeah, exactly you, what that's it. You don't think it doesn't exist already? <laughs> no, that's why I just defined it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like the the NPM ecosystem, but um, yeah, and that was the thing again. Again, Stack Overflow, same thing. Like people, it's the you ask a question, uh, if you ask a question that's like, how do I left pad? People are going to be like, well, you just use the left pad NPM fucking thing. <laughs> exactly. And that's what they do. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like, if you wanted to write a secure, like managing a secure code base, I guess, like from a supply chain perspective, um, I guess the, the internal mirrors are like a huge thing that a lot of people don't do. Like if you, um, if you if you limit your uh, dependencies, I guess to stuff that is a manageable amount, and then mirror it internally, you know you're not going to accidentally pull in a fucked up left pad until it gets audited, right? Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that was really smart was obviously when NPM bought NSP, and that's what became NPM Audit. But also, you have companies out there like NodeSource. Don't charge a whole lot, but for each project. They will look at all and and be your you know provenance for any npm code that you're bringing in, so that you can guarantee it. Although, 
there's still Unicode splitting in 8.12. That's what I was talking about at the start of the show. Like, yeah, there's uh, in the path parameter of the HTTP client library in Node.js, in uh, the one like 8.12, the latest LTS released by Node Source, like you can still inject multi byte characters for HTTP splitting. Well, yeah, but it's it's one of those things that if you at least told them. Oh, I've it, like it's known. It's getting fixed. It's fixed in. Yeah. Uh, it's fixed in ten point um, uh, ten point eleven, maybe I think. Uh, right, the but it's but it's also one of those things that if a company that is using numbers get the have the information that this particular module is bad, you can take the time to go fix that yourself. Yeah. So, like, actually, I did. I tried to do that. Um, <laughs> So really? the difference, yeah, the difference between, yeah, I spent five days working on uh, backporting uh, the HTTP uh, library from uh, 10 to 8, and it's not too much internal stuff changed, basically, to make it worthwhile so that result was stop using the LTS and upgrade to uh, to non-LTS. I, like, I've, I've uh, seen that there's a, um, there is a thing on their uh, HackerOne for Node. Um, yeah. Somebody disclosed a bug recently, like within about the same time frame as the Git pushes started happening, that fixed that bug. So that's like the two and two I put together. But I, I, like, I'm guessing. Well, that's also my second biggest bitch about npm is the fact that complete architectures can change overnight. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was <laughs> it was very um. I mean, I don't know how many people are affected by that particular bug, but um, I felt like I wish it had been a little bit more transparent. Like, and I understand how like embargoes work on open source projects as well, but um, there's certain times where I think you know a little bit more urgency needs to be handled. And uh, I guess because one of my some of my gripes of Node, so uh, yeah, embargoes are a whole thing, right? Like, uh, I don't tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> I I do actually work I work from time to time on P certs and, and Intel for, for stuff which you know are embargoed and things of that nature and basically you just I can't talk about stuff like that for months. Yeah. But I mean and and so I I don't expect you to blow up your spot or anything here if if it goes into that territory, but my personal view on embargoes is it's it's delaying uh, just getting the word out to people that can more you usually use it in a better way than the damage that it would cause. Well, but that uh, a lot of that is kind of you know if, if you I really can I, I used to think a lot the same way too, but being on seeing side, I kind of understand it in a different way, I guess. And that is, it takes time to fix things, absolutely, uh, and how to fix fix them correctly. I mean, we we as developers tend to throw things out there and say, okay, it's fixed. And QA gets it, and they say, oh no, it's not. <laughs> I think it's it's probably the biggest place to make a delineation is when it's an embargo to almost build interest in it versus an embargo that actually needs to be there to protect the integrity of like our country things like that um like i get it i get why embargoes exist but I, some of them i do not some of them i think are ridiculous oh and i might tend to agree with you <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i mean like i 
the other thing as well is like let's talk about um sec princess i don't want to you know uh just you know put you in a weird position but i know there's there's some ways to if you contribute to certain projects you will you know you get some patches through you will get onto the notification list for these things yep. so i guess um you know if, if you wanted the that embargoed information beforehand you maybe you can help intel and uh have that information handy for you to defend and uh not not use for evil like you know well that's just it or or use it for evil i mean that's kind of one of my gripes about embargoes and sorry to hijack your answer but yeah that's an insider threat issue then <laughs> and that is a real thing that should be factored into why are we actually using an embargo again that's for many reasons, but usually to protect the company that has the, <laughs> that originally has the. Yeah, yeah. Not that I agree with it, but I understand it. At least. Yep, definitely. So, um, I wanted to ask you, I've been looking at your, your GitHub, I didn't see this before, but you have a lot of awesome um, like open source auditing tools. I see stuff for Docker and things like that. And I'm just thinking like, how could we, or how would you suggest empowering um, newer devs to actually look for this kind of stuff and make changes rather than like listen to what people have said is easier to do or what they've been taught to do, like, you know, curling some whatever setup file into pseudo bash, like, you know, piping it into bash or pseudo, like that kind of stuff is like, it's just the norm for a lot of people, um, especially people who are self-taught or people who haven't gone through the, the ringer of, of this the actual damages this stuff can cause, how can you sort of empower, or what would you say to people who are, are coming into this field that have those kind of habits um, to just actually look for, you know, look at the source code, you know, people are afraid to like, look at what's what's in there, you know, they think it's complicated, but you can, you can certainly audit pretty easily for your basic stuff and just see where things are going, you know, but I want to just get your perspective on that. But that's, and it's actually one of the hardest things to get people and and I mean we've even now I mean we have you know RCGs come in and they don't know C and so when they get sat down and try to you know work in C they make some horrible mistakes because they're just you know trying to do it based off of the book learning that they've you know that they've actually I mean, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, not even book learning. Like, I've, I've met programmers that come out of private colleges that are like taught programming and have like, you know, information security degrees. And it's a fucking joke, man. The practices that they're taught are no, they're, you have to like throw that shit. You have to tell them to literally throw that shit out a window and reteach them the proper way to do things. And it's nasty as fuck. Like, you'll see people with degrees that cost them like, you know, $80,000 a year and it's fucking worthless, man. As far as like, practical programming now in this this <laughs> this day and age is uh it's something that's taught from the vets anymore it's not something that i don't think will ever be taught to people that are coming up from schools or just learning programming for the first time in a four-year degree yeah the problem the problem is as well the people that have got the degree that have gone and learned all this fucking bullshit like learning about the insides of a cpu on a security course well, I wouldn't say it's really useless, but not as much. Like, they end up getting the jobs that, like, people with experience and stuff or that are self-taught a lot more 
relevant stuff to the area that they're going for won't get the job. But to kind of give you an example from a long time ago, I found out that PhDs and physicists write probably the worst code I've ever seen in the world because I was working at Precision Interconnect and we had to uh, do some, uh, some multivariate uh, testing where we were working on determining uh, femtoamp voltage leakage in implantable cables. And it took like 12 to 24 hours to determine the type of leakage. And the software that they wrote took four or five days to run, where the software that I went through and rewrote for them took about four hours to run. That's funny. What, uh, uh, this, uh, sorry, this is on that. Um, I want to make a shout out to uh, one of the admins at Nectar who listens, which is a educational that runs. Uh, it's a massive compute cloud that you can use for free, and it takes days to run the single threaded processes because the PhD guys can't code. <laughs> <laughs> shout out. What's that, Mike? Oh, that was the best word shout out though. Thanks, Danzy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Can you repeat that? You kind of uh, went robot for a second. Blow me. Pike. Oh shoot. Um, yeah, I was just saying. I'm saying. Rub that salt in harder. Okay. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Where's her back? <laughs> oh my god yeah your connection buddy <laughs> i think i got one word <laughs> i got a... it happens you can type it too if you need to um but yeah no, that's that's really an interesting perspective i mean there's it's people don't they have to learn i guess everything there's there's so much to learn now like when you want to get into anything i mean there's you're doing web or AppSec, like whatever kind of security you're, or even just being a regular coder and trying to code securely. There's just still so many factors now because everything is just built on top of just well, everything's loaded. Everybody needs to figure out that security has to be designed architecture. You're never going to get it done right when you try to do it on the back end. Yeah. So I got a quick question to something that you just touched on before. You mentioned implantable cable. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you kind of passively said that. <laughs> so, would you like? So, you're talking about uh, leakage from implantable cable. Were you trying to uh, to stop the leakage or to increase the leakage of, of said no. cables? To measure the leakage because for uh, the you know for a medically implantable cable, it has to have less than so much leakage, and the leakage has to be in the femto. To auto amp range. You mean an actual implant? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> not not a malicious implant. So is this leakage referred oh, to wow. as cancer? No. I this, leakage, about this, this, this leakage is referred to as when you have a uh, pacemaker that has cables that run over to your heart. You don't oh. want those things leaking so bad that your heart's going wacko because the extra Absolutely. current is being leached out. That's the bad EMF right there. Fascinating. That's cool. It's when you become a wireless charger. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just set your phone on your chest and charge. I literally had to get back to base. <laughs> or you'll die. <laughs> um, so have you been doing a lot with uh, medical lately? Or... I haven't. No, that medical was when I worked Precision and Connect and did all of my... I mean, to, to give you an idea how long ago I did medical was I actually did and got to see first 3D ultrasound done by ATL at our offices with two Sun workstations doing despeckling for the real-time uh, ultrasound. That's very cool. Some microsystem shit. Yeah, I remember this. I think. Oh, so do I. I also worked with lasers when I worked there. So I actually have a, a paper that I did all of the research for back in the 90s for SPIE on uh, uh, UV laser. What's your what's the one area that really gets you going, like that you really like? Everything uh, that I've ever done. Really? If, just across the board? I just, I just, when I get bored with doing something, I try to go different and that's what everybody should do don't sit there and 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 get mad because you're having to do the same thing again go find something that drives your passion and go try to do it yeah yeah that's good advice that's that's what i'm trying to do because i'm getting sick of like trying to do bug bounties and stuff and getting beaten by a bunch of indians running at kinetics <laughs> welcome bro welcome to the world of indians <laughs> well it's it's one of those things where i hated doing i i had been doing you know, embedded systems, you know, for 20 years. And I got so tired of it that I, you know, I moved up to the outer layer and found out that porting a kernel 25 times a year wasn't very much fun either. <laughs> it sounds incredibly <laughs> fun. No, I'm just kidding. That sounds horrible. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> but I mean, keeping that, uh, even even if it was boring during the day, um, not everybody has the luxury of of being able to have a fun job. I consider myself, and I think a lot of people on here are lucky enough to have fun jobs. But I think keeping yourself occupied at home with projects and doing exploration and stuff like that. That's where I mess up because I lack motivation when it comes to just most stuff now. Like applying for a job, just completely pointless because they're just instantly do you have a criminal background yes no, no job bye mm. there's a, a thing about resume scanners that came out recently where they were giving preference to people whose name was a uh, jared that played lacrosse in uh high yeah yeah that was mine from like linkedin <laughs> well you you have to understand that i have no degree yeah i i don't have a high school diploma either i think a lot well, of I have a GED at least, but I don't have a, I don't have a. Same here. That's and... cool. Yeah. That's the, you're, you're part of the cool club then. Yeah. I <laughs> don't have a college degree. It's fine. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it somehow. I, I was making $80,000 a year working on cars while my friends were racking up a hundred thousand a year in college education. There you go. <laughs> awesome. So um, another thing that you do, um, so you, you mentioned the, the women in code, um, when you were talking about your open source security stuff. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your involvement with that? Well, I started about a year ago. You know, being a, uh, you know, I, I try not to let my identity 
you know, define who I am. But being the fact that I'm a trans, I wanted to be involved with other women. Then I wanted to be able to bring more people, you know, because we have a huge problem. We can't get enough of, and we can't get enough of interest. And so I decided I was going to get involved in the women's groups. And so I looked around for five months and finally picked code and asked them if I could volunteer for them. And they, you know, after a while, they said, sure. And so they let me in and I was volunteer work. I didn't want to do any, run any, any of them. Not really sure how well that would work out. And so I just kind of hung back and just was there as a volunteer. And within about six months, they put me on their leadership staff. And I am now out there very much in front um, because I advocate a lot for women at Intel. I advocate for women outside of Intel. Uh, I'm not only on the code Portland, but I'm also uh, director, uh, the direct leadership team for Diana Initiative, which is a conference that goes on during DEF CON that promotes women in InfoSec. Um, you know, and I do as much as I can to, you know, lift women and bring more women into uh, tech. It's great. It's appreciated. And the, the Diana initiative, uh, especially, it seems that there was a, a marked uptick in, uh, in participation and size. We, uh, yes, to give you an idea, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, working on finances for next year's uh, conference, and we're just now starting all of that cycle. And I just got all of the data put together, and we had, uh, we had 200 attendees this year with 49 speakers and turned away over 700 additional people because we did not have room. Wow. Well, that oh, wow. sounds like a great opportunity for next year. The authors would get. Oh, I, I couldn't actually hear you. I don't know if everybody else could. If you buy the Rust programming language book from No Starch Press, Black Girls Code gets the author's money. Oh, that's very, that's cool. very cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Are there any ways that uh, we could support? Because I would, I had only, I'd been to DEFCON for the first time this year and, and heard about the Diana Initiative through that and stuff. And I was, I thought it was awesome. Um, and Pirate Moo was also telling me about it as well. But is there any way that anybody here, if they're listening, um, could get involved with that or Women Who, women who Code? Yeah, dianainitiative.org, uh, uh, Women Who Code. Uh, I think it's .com. I'm not really sure. I think it's either .com or .org. I'm not sure which. I'm checking there. Check first you? to just do a fish attack. <laughs> yeah, just do a fish attack. <laughs> .co, okay. But even even uh, going up to those events is uh, helpful. It's, it is women. It is womenwhocode.com, and that's their main one. And there's there's a whole bunch of. I mean, it's a worldwide 501c3, and there are many branches in in, in cities around the world. I mean, even Berlin, uh, you know, everywhere. I just happen I just, to be involved with. That's awesome.
Um, so yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to to you wanted to touch on or share. Um, we're more than happy to. to. Well, yeah, you know, uh, as I was telling you, I do. One of the things that I see is you need to get out things with other people and get away from the coding, not not be trying to do it twenty a day, which is why I do the stuff with code and initiative. And I'm also a Trevor Chat crisis counselor, LGBT. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. So what do you do with that specifically? Or what is well, Trevor Chat? Trevor Chat is a, uh, well, Trevor Project is an LGBTQ youth suicide hotline. And they also have uh, chat and IRC. It's like IRC anyway. So you can text or chat. And you can, they, I talk with kids that are as young as nine and as old as 25 um, that are in crisis. And it's actually been, you know, pretty bad because, I mean, I didn't have a good childhood, you know, growing up as a trans kid in the no. 60s and 70s. So when I get to hear these kids and hear that, some of them actually have childhoods worse than mine. It's, you know, very cathartic for me. Well, your effort there is definitely appreciated, though. Like, thanks for doing that. Absolutely. Is there a rudely interrupted everyone? How am I coming in, bud? What? Yeah. Nah, shit. I should just stop talking. Yeah, you're cutting off, buddy, <laughs> a little bit. You can, you can type it, or do you want to... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, you can go, uh, you know, sign up to be a volunteer, and they usually, they want, when you go in and you learn to become a volunteer for that, you go through eight Stop weeks it. of classes on weekends, and I mean, you really have to want to put in for this and want it, because after your eight weekends of classes, then they expect to get 108 hours out of you for the next year. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I, I think the the standard kind of disclaimer would be uh make sure that you have the emotional bandwidth to take that on. Yes. Because, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to do. It's a very tough thing to do. So I appreciate it though. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a huge thing to just be able to to, to do as a side thing on top of doing what you do for your day job as well as <laughs> taking the time to, to speaking with us. I, I was amazed when you told me all this stuff. Um, well, I'm also know. I'm also on the board of directors for our local fire department where I used to be a volunteer firefighter and EMT. And that was one thing I actually couldn't keep up the amount of training necessary because Oregon requires you to have about 500 hours a year of training over and above whatever training you have first. And so I couldn't keep up with it. So I quit being a firefighter EMT and, be, and joined the directors. Now I just tell them how to spend the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so I'm the only, I live in a small, you know, where did it, has anybody ever seen the, uh, the logging show on whatever it was that was, uh, oh, what was it called? Well, log, I, like a uh, log tree logging, 
Yeah, it was tree logging. I can't remember what the name of the show was. Reality so. shows about tree logging. Fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, ha I happen to live in the town where I used to work on one of the loggers that was on that show. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I'm the only openly serving trans government elected trans person in our little logging town. Yeah, there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> Shout out to all the lumberjacks out there. They love that wood. Oh, yeah. Lumber gills. <laughs> Am I the only one that got the wood job? <laughs> That's great. Wow. Yeah, it's a, I, don't, I don't know how you do it. That's they, they they call me the busiest woman in tech. <laughs> it sounds like it. And you got because uh, we're I think wrapping up a little bit. Um, but you're doing November 9th in Seattle. What are you doing? Uh Seagull Conference. It's a free conference. S E A G L dot org. Okay. And you can also go find me on LinkedIn. Uh, as Mickey Demeter. Uh, you can also go find my WordPress account. I'm at the dog crate on Twitter. Right? Oregon Vixen. Well, right now it's Hexen Beast Vixen because it's Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I just but, followed you on Yeah. <laughs> but it's been fun doing this. I was really <laughs> glad that you asked me to do this because as I, as I told you, I'm kind of a whole no, it's been great having you on, and uh, I think anybody that's in the Seattle area should go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll definitely be posting all of the links that we've discussed, uh, including your your conference proposal and your GitHub and all the different awesome resources you just shared with us um, <laughs> in our show notes, um, which I'll post again because I just I closed the tab. <laughs> oh, that's it. it's over. The show's yep. over. Close the tab. Yeah. I have a... <laughs> Controls of D. Um, but yeah, so everybody here, um, they, I'm going to put all these things in here later on today. Um, and we'll definitely have all this stuff available for people. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And this has been awesome. Just everything that you've shared with us and a lot of interesting things to, uh, to bring to work tomorrow. Think about. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I was really fun. Of course. Um, so yeah, um, thanks everybody here. If anybody has any questions in the uh, Twitch chat or here, you want to ask any last words, um, go for it. Yeah, um, so like, what's been the most significant culture change in our industry that you've seen over time? And do things gotten better in general or worse? When you talk about culture, do you mean development-wise or just mean culture? Like, just like like tech or hacker culture in general? Well, hacker culture has gotten better in the last five to six years because trust me that before that, hacker culture was too dude bro. I mean, unless you were a very strong, with very, you know, strong, <laughs> you know, where you could put up with the guys, you weren't accepted into the, uh, to the security aspect of it there were very few women in it we have lots more women in it now and it's become a lot better just in the last five to six years yeah i remember hearing a few women talking about like they had their own handles just pretending to be dude bros in regular groups back in the day but it was always interesting because i never heard too much about it i just heard about the existence
Well, if you want to, you have to remember, I worked with Sage Sharp. Originally was Sarah Sharp. So if you go Google Sarah Sharp and Torvalds, you'll see what that was like a while ago. I just think, like, uh, if you recall back in the hacking scene before, um, you know, when everybody was just, you know, you slash names in an IRC channel, if it didn't, you know, it didn't actually specify, there was no, there was no gender. So, like, people didn't think about it as much. And I think, like, if you look at the Hacker Manifesto, it says, you know, existing without creed or whatever, all the things it lists. And it doesn't actually list gender in there. And I think that's um, one of the like missed opportunities. Like had it have said gender in there, it could have shut down so many like um, arguments that came in the future. Like if, you know, hackers, you know, can exist and you don't, you know, don't need to be a guy or a girl or whatever to be a hacker. It's all of us. And um, I, yeah, just, it just, it's sure. something that we, we want to exist without uh, prejudices yet. Um, it, it didn't. Yeah. Well, it wasn't visible at the time. To tell you how, how really old I am is my first job was programming an IBM system 360, 370 in assembler. Shout out to mainframe D767. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, one more yeah, question. Yeah. Um, sorry <laughs> for coming out there. But uh, I actually really like reading the older books like Tannenbaum and Ritchie and all those folks. I was just wondering, do you have any diehard old book that you would my my Kernigan Ritchie <laughs> my C book is still on my shelf and will be forever and same thing with my data algorithms book yeah I've got a pirate copy of C printed out on my desk <laughs> yeah. so those are my two go to books for everything I, I write mostly in C I can I dabble in Python because I do lots of hacking and Lots of little scripting stuff in Python, but I'm not what I would call a Python programmer. Um, Did you say you love C? I love C. Gotcha. I absolutely love C. And I'm a C programmer that programs C++ like C. Does that make sense? So, so I actually took C++ off of my resume because I don't really write C++. I write C++ in C. <laughs> Which is what I find most, that's what most do. I mean, the C++ programmers I know are awesome. I am not one of them. Yes, that <laughs> is one of those books. <laughs> here, here. I'm trying to find you a picture real quick. <laughs> but, but I still love my favorite, my favorite question when, I, when people come in and have, that they do C and C++ because everybody does it on their... What do you prefer, C++, C++ or C? C. Gotcha. Just I can do more. I can do more with C because I'm an embedded programmer. So I did stuff at the lowest level. But one of the things that I love when I see a resume that says C slash C++ as one of their languages is to ask them what a virtual interface is. And nine out of 10 times, they can't answer me unless they're a real C++ programmer. Ooh, all right. I got one. What's the answer? <laughs> what is a virtual interface? It's yeah. not a. It's it's what you use to get to a concrete class. Uh, okay. There's no implementation. Hermit literally was dealing with that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those good questions, you know, that it lets you know if they really do. 
and oh, I like that bookshelf view. Oh <laughs> yeah. And yes, that's the exact same book I have on my shelf. That's yeah, my. Yeah, I got that on my desk that, now. Yeah, that's my Bible. <laughs> well, I you know I also have my you know, uh, yeah, your my black hat Python book. You got the yeah. wizard book. Yes. <laughs> oh, and I also have I also have my uh you know, the the Holy Bible of uh, uh POC or GTFO both of versions. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you too. Those are like the, the literally just reading it on the trade. Just I don't know, nothing better than that. Yep, that's the Black Hat Python book I have. <laughs> so yeah. you see. Everybody I know has this, right? I mean, on my <laughs> desk is my POC or GTFO that looks like a Bible, and everybody walks by and <laughs> looks at that like, wow. And then they pick it up and they look at it and they just start chuckling as they're reading through it. <laughs> Rust is, Rust, I actually have a few friends that are really hung up, like uh, Josh Triplett at Intel. I mean, he does a lot of stuff out in the public, and Rust is actually pretty cool. I mean, I like it. I think I think it's going to be the new thing for 2019. Rust. Uh, it's been working for the last couple of years. I'm hoping that more people pick it up because it's actually pretty smart. That it. Yeah, it seems like a lot of. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I just got the book. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, I'm definitely looking at that. So actually, one of the things, last things I'm going to ask you is, where do you see um, software development going in the future? <laughs> I don't, everybody keeps saying it's going to be automated out. I don't see how that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think we're just going to keep fighting this battle. Like I said, everything old becomes new again. <laughs> we will We will end up with Languages that have new ways to be um, you know, exploited that we just can't tell until we actually get there. They keep working harder and harder at uh, one of the things that I've seen, which has been kind of interesting, is that as programs get more, you know, becomes you know, more you know, become stronger. And OSs become, you know, bulletproof. That all of these hacks keep moving down closer and closer and closer into the hardware, and we're now starting to deal with, you know, USB, you know, root kits and stuff like that. That you know, to where I think that it just takes people time to look at, and there's always going to be somebody somewhere has nothing better to do than to figure out a way to break something. Yeah, MJ. <laughs> Trust <laughs> <laughs> <Just> MG. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah, that's great, uh, great insight here. Yeah, um, I'm, just, I'm just like trying to find more books to show you, but yes, uh, <laughs> yes, more books. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't finished, I haven't finished books. talking on my books yet here. I, I have really too many ones that you probably know. Um, yeah, so uh, we should probably wrap up though because it's a little past 11:30 over here on the East Coast. But um, thank you so much, TechPrincess, for joining us. This has been an amazing chat, and you are more than welcome to hang out in our Discord and 
Um, I don't know. We'd love to, to chat with you more. Um, it was a lot, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm cool. glad. Um, so yeah, I posted the notes. I'll post them again um, with the updated links and everything. And uh, we'll have a new, I'm going to actually this week, um, I'm going to finish re-encoding all of the videos to audio because I have been slacking on that since Georgia Weedman came on. So everybody's just been stuck in Twitch mode. Um, but yes, yeah, so you guys will be able to see that soon. Um, weekendhack.in, if anybody wants to get involved in our 24-hour um, our CTF, we have five slots open. If you also want to help me think of something cool for people to do to root a box, um, you can also ping me as well. Um, I'm DMX in a jean suit on Twitter or just um, and then the last thing is to next week is the aesthetics uh, episode for our spooktacular. Um, so show us your best uh, hardware, software, desktop environment costumes that you can't live without, and we will be sharing them together. So, yeah. Um, anybody have any last words? I'm so posting a Windows install. Shut the fuck up, Middler. True. <laughs> all right. Oh, uh, oh damn it. I love it. Um, all right. So thanks, everybody, and we will yeah. see you later. Peace Bye. out. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm.